Okay, so uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, the key, keys to power. And it's kind of a, a theoretical framework for looking at human politics and uh, how things kind of run. Uh, Under what system? Uh, and actually, and this is an interesting point, is it kind of it, it applies to almost all systems to varying degrees. And um, just politics, or do you think this has broader ramifications throughout... I mean, you could apply it to it's it's more it's more just how power works rather than, um, you know, like you could even apply it to chimp troops if, if you wanted to. Right. Um, it's it's the politics broadly construed. Yeah. At the very most basic level, because this is how like even your if you're if you have an HOA, right? Like a, I don't know what that is. In the United States, they have uh, it's like a kind of a house owners association. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, and they can pass rules. and I mean, it's on a very low level, but the, the same sort of logic applies. You, to get into a position requires support, and to administer things requires people that will continue to actually do what you tell them to do. And these, this is, and it, it's basically that, that this theory kind of comes back to that. Now, um, the original theory, if I'm correct, is actually in a book. Um, but uh, the... A really excellent overview if you don't want to read the book. It's only it's a very basic overview, but uh, there's a CGP Gray video which I would highly recommend. Um, it's Rules for Rulers, I think, is the name of the video. I'll I'll link to it in the show notes. Yeah, by all means. Uh, and I mean that if you want to go in and read the whole book, but I mean the the basic concepts are actually the more interesting thing, and y you can come up with hundreds of examples of it because it it is kind of a fairly accurate. Uh, description of how human politics and politics in general tends to work uh so well, i'll just come up with an example that's very straightforward and that has annoyed a lot of people but um for example with uh the liberals in power currently they ran on the campaign promise that they would save the environment is that where you're going well no no the i was gonna go with the voting systems Oh, electoral reform. Sure. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, they promised this thing. They, you know, ran on it. They got, a, I mean, they got a fair bit of support for doing it. But as soon as they got into power and actually went to put it into practice, they killed it. Because it was against their best interest. Exactly. Um, so, and, and one of the things that comes up is that once you have this, these keys to power is that sometimes the, what what the keys you need to get into power are not necessarily the same ones you need to maintain it. So the the very first concept is no man rules alone, or no woman rules alone. No person can rule alone. What and about so, Stalin or Hitler? But even they aren't ruling alone. One guy can't move an army, right? It requires thousands of people, coordinated efforts, right? And what if so, he says, "I'll kill you if you don't move." Yeah, if he says that, but is he going to do that personally or is he going to ask someone else to do it? He's probably going to ask somebody else to do it. Exactly. And if you're doing anything at any sort of scale, you can't do it on your own. You always need somebody else to act on your behalf. And it doesn't really matter whether that's on a small scale or a large scale, but you, like one person only has so much time and the organization systems required to acquire real required to acquire real power involve many, many people and a huge amount of organization. And it doesn't even really matter if it's a democracy or if it's a dictatorship. Yeah, it doesn't. Um, and so, and this is the thing, I guess it's just a simple truth. Even if you are in, involved in a charity and you're the CEO of that charity, you might have employees. You might have other volunteers that you've got to organize. And you, if those volunteers don't do what you ask them to do, you don't actually have any real power. You can't really accomplish what, anything. What about a sole, a sole proprietorship? Yeah, I, I would argue in like if you have nobody else and you're just doing if you're self-employed and you have no. You could be a sole proprietor with employees. Mm, but as soon as you have employees, then you're now you're you're dealing with relationships and you're you're trading one type of power to make them do what you want them to. Right. Which is money. Yeah, in this case, it's money. So, and this is another the, one of the other central concepts is that most states exist as a means of redistributing treasure. Now, 
the or redistributing money would be the other way of describing it. But it's it doesn't matter what society you're involved in. There's always a redirection of money from one group to another. Uh, now, sometimes those redirections are beneficial, but they aren't always. Probably uh, m- most often they're not. Uh, I mean, they are to the people who are having the redistribution done to them. <laughs> yes, to them. but I mean, like sometimes they. F- so, for example, if you're a construction worker and you do uh, you work on infrastructure, you know, you can have you can have broad based gains through your efforts. If if a proportion of the society's efforts are directed towards you, so you can go and do what you need to do, right? And so that's why you'd see, for example, companies that, or not companies, rather, political parties which promise lots of large infrastructure projects and capital investment in the economy have a lot of support from labor unions, exactly because they they stand to benefit from. Oh, of course. They, I mean, they're that's what they do. That's like, hey, yeah, direct it more towards us so we can do our stuff. Um, but it's the same thing. Like conservatives get in, they tend to do stuff that's very favorable for business owners, but at the expense of other groups, right? Because the currency by which people can support candidates in a democracy is, is votes. Yes. At the end of the day. And, and actually the, one of the big definitional changes when you go from a dictatorship type system to a, um, democratic system is that usually in the democratic system, the most of the treasure or the wealth is produced by the individual people rather than a resource. Mm, I'm not. Uh... Well, let me put it this way. So like Canada has a fairly significant oil economy, like it has a major effect on our economy. But what yes. percent what percentage of our GDP does it make up? Uh, I'm not I'm not sure. Relatively small. I know relatively small. Like it's less than 10 percent. Um, and. You don't need, like, you, and even then, like, our, our resource sector is not, uh, <laughs> it's not one of those situations where you can just plug a hole in, or dig a hole in the ground and oil comes out. You've got to, like, massively refine stuff. There's a lot of people involved in the process. I, I wouldn't, I don't think that, that might, there might be a correlation there. I'm not sure that it's causative. I think that democracies came about because of violence from, like aristocrats and from like upper middle class people. Well, there you go, Mark. I guess maybe. Yeah. See, this is the thing ongoing. But yeah. I mean, look at look in the in the 1600s in Britain. Um, was <clears throat> that wasn't so much that there was a movement away from resources as a primary driver of the economy because that happened later. Mm-hmm. Um, that was more just people w- didn't want the king to tax them without their permission. Right. But if you, if you look at that, it's because these people obviously were producing enough wealth on their own to be able to demand that sort of power. But it was the same kind of wealth production that had been ongoing for millennia. Eh, if you, if in you, the 1600s, I'm yeah, saying. But actually, if you look at Britain, they were kind of the first country to start moving, like start developing a uh, commercial um society the second maybe uh it would it would be more accurate to say the dutch were the first well okay yeah maybe the second but they're they're in this they're but they were there that that area of northern europe was the first area to start developing commercial um behaviors right like i even 16th like you were talking 16th or 17th century here the 17th century 17th century so yeah so in the 17th century that's even in uh scotland you started seeing uh, major openings up of the trade to the United States with tobacco, and yeah. they de- they developed a like a middle class that was entirely a merchant class based on this. But then, okay, what about if we go way way back and look at, for example, the Roman Republic or or like ancient like ancient Athens, like two examples of of not. I mean, ancient Athens obviously was a direct democracy, and the Roman Republic was probably a lot closer to the systems that we call democracy today. Mm-hmm. But that was just the way they did things because of more of more than the distribute more than how the economy worked. It was how which groups had military power, which, right. which groups had the capacity to use violence. Yes, and it, and, and that was decentralized, and so that's where it 
they came to say, okay, well, we have to talk about what we're going to do so we're not just always fighting all the time. Right. So in that case, you've... But the, the point there is that there's a, a, there's a relative equality uh, between the groups, which is actually pretty important when it comes to trying to find a functioning democracy. Like, if you start noticing when the Roman Republic fell, it's when it got big enough that they started using lots of slaves. Yes. Right? So um, sudden, sudden, yes. suddenly you've disconnected the power of individuals from... Mm, well, no, but like you've, I don't. You've, but you've, I, you've, une- you've made things less equal, and so you can actually monopolize the uh, the production of wealth through uh, slavery and force, rather than through you know having to bargain with other people. But I'm not sure that's a good read because what what happened was that the uh, the working class people won. Like the people who were benefiting from slavery were the senators mm-hmm. and they were the ones that were opposed to uh to one man rule and to dictatorship it was it was the the dispossessed masses who used uh figures like like Julius Caesar and then and then Augustus Caesar as a counterweight against senatorial power it was it was it was almost like a like a working class well that may, that may be the initial cause of the change but what maintains it? Why, why did the senators never regain their power? Where they did, where the senators, the equilibrium eventually was restored the first few times that happened because Julius Caesar wasn't the first right. to seize absolute di- dictatorship. He was like the third or the fourth. Right. So what I'm saying is not that, not that, you, that you can't have these revolutions or changes in, in systems. It's that to reach an equilibrium where you actually have a longstanding uh, democratic process you actually you you can't have this changeover happen because once once the two become disconnected and then just to go back to the to the to the roman example and what what you were saying earlier about justin trudeau is like he used electoral reform to get into power and then once he's in power he's no longer interested exactly. in the same way that once once the the emperors in rome were they had consolidated their power then they quickly came to to uh, an agreement to a to a, a balance with the senators it didn't just kill them all exactly there and this is just it like it's it's this you you have to come to a certain degree of agreement with people and that's that's just who your keys are going to be like and in most of our modern societies those keys are often yeah they're they're electoral groups so if you've got a if you can get the unions on your side it's worth a huge number of votes if you can get businesses on your side it's worth a huge number of votes and democracy just shows that things are like not completely equal but equal enough that people still have have the ability to keep things kind of under control um and it's not and the systems that we've put in place make it more resilient and less likely to change but that the ability of it to change is tied fundamentally back towards that what people can do um the other thing is is that it's a lot easier to end up with a modern wealthy country when people are the source of all the wealth because there's suddenly an interest from the central government to invest in um, you know infrastructure and whatnot to make everyone else more productive so that you can get more wealth so that the so that everyone's better off right if you and can, so what you're saying is that people everyday people become one of the keys exactly to power and, and when that happens then you've got then you've got a functioning democracy um yeah when the, the in- interests of of the general population align with the interests of the state yeah that would be a pretty good description of modern western democracy is that the two the two are mostly coincided or at least they can coincide enough that the system works but i mean i think there is something to to the point that when the interests of well, maybe it's just because the people who hold power under this framework aren't paying enough attention to an important key. Like when the interests of the government diverge sufficiently from the interests of the people in in the Anglo-American tradition, like we just kill them. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> and, and we just bend them to our will. Like they didn't give us democracy. We took it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's and that's just it like it's the there's there is in our tradition it's like we we don't like tyrants very much and they they are to be rejected and thrown down 
and uh, and maybe that just goes to like almost the pre-monetary currency of power which which is which is force mm-hmm. and so like mo- like money is important but but force is more important force is superior to money yeah one is just it so money money allows you to buy people off it's kind of a positive thing uh force forces the uh, negative the punishment the other side of things right that's one of hayek's big digs against socialism that he he says that a lot of people who advocate for socialism don't realize is that the difference between the power wielded by a company over you and the difference by wielded by the government over you is different in kind mm-hmm. because your company is incapable of using violence against you where the government is capable of using violence against you well and i so mean that's there, there there are certain lines that are crossed by certain companies certainly um, not in canada uh cpr has its own police force yeah, but they can't like if somebody doesn't come to work, they can't beat that person. That's up. true. There, there, there are definitely limits, <laughs> to say the least. But yeah, I mean, like, like a security guard in a in a mall has no more right to use violence than like me. Yeah, at the true. end of the day. Yeah, they where, don't have they don't they don't have state sanction by any means. Exactly, and, and yeah. we and that's one of the things that goes over to the government is that we we we've given them a monopoly on violence. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and that's an important changeover, right? Like you, you can only get a stable system when there's a monopoly on violence, and everyone agrees that it shall be used only under ec- like a certain set of circumstances, right? Yeah. Um, so one of the other things I was going to go on about this idea is that you know when you talk about keys to power, the the examples of democracies failing or tending to wards like we use some of the more exa- ancient examples but in the modern era you can look at the countries that tend to have problems and it's when a part of their economy becomes outsized and can be captured for example maybe venezuela might be a good example of that. i mean as far as the current current systems go yeah i mean that's exactly what's happened you've got enough money coming out of their oil system and it dwarfs everything else and then well Part of that, too, is they, they based their entire government off of oil revenue. And mm-hmm. then the crash in 2014 that gave Alberta all this trouble mm-hmm. sank Venezuela, sank the Venezuelan government. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, is that they were able to redirect enough of that money towards their own supporters to maintain power. Until they couldn't anymore or maybe are in the process of not being able to. Yes, exactly. Anymore. And so this is the thing. So now they're, the oil wealth is smaller, so... Now they don't control enough treasure to to keep their keys in place, keep their keys happy. Exactly. And then and suddenly a key goes, hmm, I mean, if we do a rebellion right now, I can get in with the new government. Yeah, because like people have been protesting in Venezuela for like a for a decade. Yeah. But But why does why does nothing happen? It's it's because now there have started to be major high profile defections from Maduro's own government. Exactly. Because the keys aren't happy in his own party. Mm hmm. And so now things are getting a little more unstable. And it also helps that the Americans are starting to actively pressure them. <laughs> yeah, but that, this is this is all happening after. Yeah. It's it's already, it's like the, uh, it's like when the keys are unhappy, it creates an opening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another example is uh, like the richest country in Africa by GDP is, I think it's Equatorial Guinea. Uh, oh really? That's very interesting. Yeah, I think their average, like per person GDP, is like forty or fifty thousand um, dollars. But it's all oil wealth, and there is an extremely wealthy individual who controls the government, and then there's just abject poverty. Right. Because they don't need any key. Like people, people aren't the keys to power in that situation. And so, what keeps people from overthrowing a dictator like that? Well, he's got enough money to pay for an army, and to keep and to keep that key to power happy in place. And that's the thing: like, how many keys to power do you have if you run an oil nation like this? You literally have the army and the oil workers. If you can keep them happy, you're good to go. Which is maybe a description of certain Gulf states as well. Yeah, well, and that's uh, yeah. You you look at how centralized power is in those nations, and that's the reason why. So really, it's not that the dictator is holding the country in thrall so much as the army and the and the oil workers are holding the country in thrall exactly there's a dictator even a dictator is just a a figurehead at the end of the day 
well, they they have a lot of real power. Like they can make things happen, but Absolutely. if they but they they are constrained by their keys. Yeah. And the interesting thing is is that in those systems, the keys then have keys as well, right? So you've got a every, everybody at each step has like even if you can even if you have the most loyal key directly below you, if he can't keep the keys below him happy, he won't last long. So it becomes a bit of a layer cake that way. Um, Which was a political situation that was acknowledged as it arose organically in Europe after the fall of the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. With this uh, this elaborate with this elaborate system of knights and barons and counts and dukes and and kings and like the oaths of fealty going in every which way in every direction this complicated web yeah but that was a very accurate description of the web of power at that time and yeah. who and who the keys were and how important those keys were and who their keys were on top of that it's just and a they, they just had no compunction about being a hundred percent explicit about what was going on exactly um so i i would also uh I'd like to make a point about what uh, the other situations where you can get um, power being directed away from a government um, is if the government hands over a portion of the economy to criminals that is too large. For example, in Mexico. Uh, Mexico is the current example, yes. So they're by prohibiting drugs and the drug trade, they're handing over a percentage of GDP that's substantial. Probably twenty or thirty percent of the Mexican GDP is drug running, and so you're handing over an awful lot of power to some unsavory actors, and there's a consequence to that. Well, and it doesn't really even matter how nice the people in those positions are. It's just that they have to do what they're doing to stay in the position that they're in. Exactly, that they're made unsavory by the fact that there is no law that yeah. there is no monopoly on violence exactly and that's the thing like the government is saying well you we're not allowing this and we're going to use our monopoly on violence to maintain it and then it's basically like, well i'm going to ignore you because it's worth so much and now your monopoly is broken because there's no reason for me not to use violence because you will use it against me well not even that but that they can't there's no difference in magnitude of what either side can deploy exactly well or are the consequences to your actions i mean you've already chosen to defy them so by definition they're going to be using de- violence against you so there's no there's no consequence to using violence yourself at that stage um, like because in in the united states or canada for example like if you defy the government they're just going to continue to escalate mm-hmm. the situation until until they you win. bend <laughs> yeah, until they win. Where yeah. in in a in a when a state is not willing to do that, it's or, in, it's, un, or is unable to do that because there's just in, too much in, power in on fact, the other side. Conceding that space to the the organization that is holding on to it. Mm-hmm, exactly. And actually, and if you if you think about it, I, I would say that it's actually hap- this same situation has happened in the United States in the past. Um, in what prohibition? What, what do you mean? Right. Oh, sure. Sure. So yeah. in the 1920s and 30s, there's a reason these gangsters became so incredibly powerful and were buying judges and whatnot. It's because the alcohol economy was larger than the U.S. federal government at the time. Yeah. And so you've, you've handed over enough keys to power to some somebody else. And now enough <laughs> treasure. Yeah. You've handed over all the treasure. So now they have keys to they got their own keys to to work with. And they can create a separate system. They can buy your keys off from under you. Yeah. Unless you can bring sufficient violence to bear. Yes. Which is not necessarily all that easy when they're acting uh, acting in between everybody. Well, and then you see what happens. Like, it recently in Juarez, there, there was a gunfight between the municipal and the state police. Mm-hmm. Because one, like, one, how does one, that had, happen? one ended up on one side and one ended up on the other. Exactly. Of two different cartels. Yeah. Which is kind of like it's not, not a great situation to end up yeah. in, um, but yeah, like the RC, it would be like the RCMP and the OPP getting in a shootout because they're both bought off by different mobs. Yeah, which is that just would be unthinkable. Which is insane. But this is what this is what starts happening when you hand over enough treasure that 
that they can start buying your keys. It's like the Mexican government doesn't really own their own police forces anymore. Yeah. Which is, I mean, Mexico is a big place. It depends on the state. Yeah, some know. some areas they will, and some areas they won't. But there's definitely areas where they don't have control. Yeah, Juarez, Vermont. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's it is a very interesting concept of of way of looking at how things often go, and I mean it applies all the time. Like I mentioned uh, the the uh, electoral reform, but. I mean, there's so many times where politicians will break promises once they're in power, and it's because they need to maintain different keys. Like again, like Trudeau with the oil field. Yeah. Like, or or maybe a better example is Notley, um, and how and how much not how hard Notley fought for the interests of the oil industry. Yeah. Um, which would is something that NDP leaders in other provinces would find unthinkable. Yeah, because in that in that province, they are too big of a key to power to ignore. You can't just be like, no, we're going against you. It's like, no, no, we'll fight for you too because you are, <laughs> if you're against us, we don't have a hope of getting anything done. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I, I think that's a pretty good summation of the topic. Uh, I, I'd like to even bring up a few more examples, but I'm <laughs> trying to think of other situations where uh, you can kind of apply this framework, but... Uh, I thought we were going to do keys to power. I didn't end up watching that video. I haven't had time yet, but but I have watched it before. I think I'm still good to talk about it. Well, let's uh, let's let, let's start that again. Under what system? And just politics, or do you think this has broader ramifications throughout? Right. Politics broadly construed. I don't know what that is. Oh, okay, okay. I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. Save the environment. Is that where you're going? Oh, electoral reform. Sure, yeah. Because it was against their best interest. 
What about Stalin or Hitler? What if he says, I'll kill you if you don't move? He's probably going to ask somebody else to do it. And it doesn't even really matter if it's a democracy or if it's a dictatorship. What if you're what what about soil a sole proprietorship? You could be a sole proprietor with employees. Which is money. Probably, m most often they're not. I mean, they are to the people who are having the redistribution <laughs> happen to them. And so that's why you'd see, for example companies that or not companies rather political parties which promise lots of large infrastructure projects and capital investment in the economy have a lot of support from labor unions because they they stand to benefit from Because the currency by which people can support candidates in a democracy is, is votes at the end of the day. Mm, I'm not... Uh... Yes. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure. Relatively small, I know. I, I wouldn't I don't think that that might there might be a correlation there. I'm not sure that it's causative. I think that democracies came about because of violence from like aristocrats and from like upper middle class people. Well, there you go, Mark. I guess maybe maybe that was ongoing. But I mean, look at look in the in the 1600s in Britain um, was <clears throat> that wasn't so much that there was a movement away from resources as a primary driver of the economy because that happened later. Um, that was more just people w didn't want the king to tax them without their permission. 
but it was the same kind of wealth production that had been ongoing for millennia. Agricul- in the 1600s, I'm saying. The second, maybe uh, it would be, it would be more accurate to say the Dutch were the first, and then the and then the British followed shortly behind. The seventeenth century, sixteen hundreds. Yeah. But then, okay, what about if we go way, way back and look at, for example, the Roman Republic or, or like ancient, like ancient Athens, like two examples of, of not, I mean, ancient Athens obviously was a direct democracy and the Roman Republic was probably a lot closer to the systems that we call democracy today, but that was just the way they did things because of more of more than the distribute more than how the economy worked. It was how which groups had military power, which which groups had the capacity to use violence, and it, and, and that was decentralized. And so that's where it they came to say, okay, well we have to talk about what we're going to do, so we're not just always fighting all the time. Yes. Um, yes. Mm, I don't, but I... But I'm not sure that's a good read. Because what, what happened was that the... Uh, the working class people won like the people who were benefiting from slavery were the senators and they were the ones that were opposed to uh to one man rule and to dictatorship it was it was the the dispossessed masses who used uh figures like like Julius Caesar and then and then Augustus Caesar as a counterweight against senatorial power it was it was it was almost like a like a working class Where they did, where the senators, the equilibrium eventually was restored the first few times that happened because Julius Caesar wasn't the first to seize absolute di- dictatorship. He was like the third or the fourth. And then just to go back to the to the to the Roman example and what what you were saying earlier about Justin Trudeau is like he used electoral reform to get into power and then once he's in power he's no longer interested in the same way that once once the the emperors in Rome were they had consolidated their power then they quickly came to to uh, an agreement to a to a, a balance with the senators they didn't just kill them all.
And so what you're saying is that people, everyday people become one of the keys to power. Yeah, when the interests of of the general population align with the interests of the state. But I mean, I think there is something to to the point that when the interests of well, maybe it's just because the people who hold power under this framework aren't paying enough attention to an important key. Like when the interests of the government diverge sufficiently from the interests of the people in in the Anglo-American tradition, like, we just kill them, you know? Um, and, and we just bend them to our will. Like, they didn't give us democracy. We took it. Um, And, and maybe that just goes to, like, almost the pre-monetary currency of power, which, which, is, which is force. And so, like, mo- like money is important, but, but force is more important. Force is superior to money. That's one of Hayek's big digs against socialism that he he says that a lot of people who advocate for socialism don't realize is that the difference between the power wielded by a company over you and the difference by wielded by the government over you is different in kind because your company is incapable of using violence against you where the government is capable of using violence against you. And so that's Not in Canada. Yeah, but they can't... Like, if somebody doesn't come to work, they can't beat that person up. Yeah, I mean, like, like a security guard in a, in a mall has no more right to use violence than, like, me. At the end of the day. Where... Exactly, yeah. 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 For example, maybe Venezuela might be a good example of that. And then, well, part of that, too, is they they based their entire government off of oil revenue. And then the crash in 2014 that gave Alberta all this trouble sank Venezuela, sank the Venezuelan government. until they couldn't anymore or maybe are in the process of not being able to anymore. They don't control enough treasure to to keep their keys in place. Yeah, cuz like people have been protesting in Venezuela for like a for a decade. But what it's it's because now there have started to be major high-profile defections from Maduro's own government and his own party. Yeah, but that this is this is all happening after. Yeah.
Oh, really? That's very interesting. Right. And so what keeps people from overthrowing a dictator like that? And to keep and to keep that key to power in place. Which is maybe a description of certain Gulf states as well. So really, it's not that the dictator is holding the country in thrall so much as the army and the and the oil workers are holding the country in thrall. And the dictator, even a dictator is just a figurehead at the end of the day. Absolutely. Yeah. Which was a political situation that was acknowledged as it arose organically in Europe after the fall of the Roman Empire, with this er, this elaborate with this elaborate system of knights and barons and counts and dukes and and kings and like the oaths of fealty going in every which way in every direction this complicated web. Yeah. And they they just had no compunction about being 100% explicit about what was going on. For example, in Mexico, well, and it doesn't really even matter how nice the people in those positions are, it's just that they have to do what they're doing to stay in the position that they're in that they're made unsavory by the fact that there is no law that there is no monopoly on violence well not even that but that they can't there's no difference in magnitude of what either side can deploy like because in in the United States or Canada for example like if you defy the government they're just going to continue to escalate the situation until they win yeah until they win where in in a in a when a state is not willing to do that it's an, it's in in fact conceding that space to the the organization that is holding on to it In what, what, what do you mean? Right, oh, sure, sure, yeah.
Yeah. Enough treasure. Yeah. Unless you can bring sufficient violence to bear. Well, and then you see what happens. Like, it recently in Juarez, there, there was a gunfight between the municipal and the state police. How, like, how does that happen? Exactly, of two different cartels. Yeah. Like, the RC, it would be like the RCMP and the OPP getting in a shootout because they're both bought off by different mobs. That would be unthinkable. Yeah. It, I mean, Mexico is a big place. It depends on the state, but yeah. Yeah, Juarez for one. Like, again, like Trudeau with the oil field. Like, or, or maybe a better example is Notley. Um, and how, and how much not, how hard Notley fought for the interests of the oil industry. Um, which would, is something that NDP leaders in other provinces would find unthinkable. Yeah. Oh. Cool. Well, do you want to call that the keys to power one? I'll hit 